0: Alright, so we're continuing our series through Galatians this morning, 200 Proof Grace. Um, I love the title of this series, 200 Proof Grace, um, because it means, uh, think about 200 proof alcohol, it's just pure alcohol, no water or anything else mixed in, Uh, it's very unsafe to drink, don't consume it. But also, when we talk about 200-proof grace, it means pure, undefiled grace, right? So none of our works are mixed into this grace. That's what we mean when we're talking about 200-proof grace. And unlike 200-proof alcohol, 200-proof uh, grace, perfect grace that we receive, is, it gives us all that we need. It's not unsafe. It's the opposite. It actually gives us all that we need um, to walk in the Spirit, to be saved by Christ, And two weeks ago, Mike preached on walking through the Spirit um, in Galatians 5, walking in step with the Spirit. And he concluded his sermon by reminding us that all of us walk in the Spirit purely by the grace of God. Only by the grace of God are we in this community that we walk together, walk forward in love for one one another. Uh, So none of us earned our way into this community. Only by God's grace are we in here, and therefore we love each other deeply. Right? We're not conceited, we're not puffed up, but we're actually humble. We walk in humility and love for one another, so we know that apart from the grace of God, we're all sinners. Right? By God's grace, we are brought in to this community. But that also begs the question, what does it look like to walk in a community of grace? So what does it look like to walk as those who are walking in step with the Spirit, who are walking in humility for one another, and ultimately who are walking in love for one another? And that's where we pick up in Galatians 6 here. Uh, Because in Galatians 6, Paul starts to talk about this is the outworking of a community who walks in step with the Spirit. This is what walking in the Spirit looks like. So we'll go ahead and read our text, and then we'll go through it. So Galatians 6, verses 1 through 5. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. Then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So this text is a little tricky, because um, on the one hand, it's very practical, right? We're talking about what this looks like as a community to bear one another's burdens. So he's saying, look, the practical outworking is that you bear each other's burdens, you restore each other in a spirit of gentleness. So he's giving an instruction to them. But at the same time, it's pretty reflective, because he includes some warnings in his text, right? He says in verse three, anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. All right, so he's given out warnings as well. And so you have instruction, you have warning, um, but if we look at these verses, a common theme actually runs through all of them, and that is that we're called to love one another. All of these verses speak to loving one another as a community who's walking in the Spirit. Because uh, in the very first verse, we see a v- like a very clear picture of this love, what this love looks like. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness." So restoration is the first picture that we see of this love that we're called to. And to see how loving this restoration restoration is, Paul gives us three characteristics of what it looks like. So he gives us the extent of the restoration, he gives us the who of the restoration, and then he tells us how, how this restoration should take place. So first the extent. He says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, Right? So he's not saying, if just this person, right, or just this sin, he's saying anyone, no matter what sin, no matter who committed this sin, if they're a brother, if they're a sister in Christ, restore them, right? bring them up, build them back up. Our responsibility is not to put limits on the grace of God when we see sin, but it's actually to extend this grace to one another, to extend it endlessly as God extends his grace to us going back to the community who walks. And then the second characteristic of this restoration is who. So first, who, yeah, who should restore the one that is caught in restoration, but also just who is Paul talking to here? So I think it's important that he calls them brothers. Brothers means really brothers and sisters, but what Paul is saying is family. Right? He's saying family if anyone is caught in transgression. Because when a Christian falls into sin, it's not just someone that goes to the same church as you, this is actually your brother or your sister in Christ. Paul's drawing in this family language of love that we have for one another. Because the deep love that a family has, it drives, one, it drives them to pick each other up. It drives them to restore them. And this love, Paul's saying, should be even stronger in the church, because right? we're a family of God. We're a family that God has brought together out of his grace, and we're called to walk in love for one another. And in order to, re- to know how to restore someone, we first need to know who restores them, right? Paul says, you who are spiritual should restore him. And so the question is, yeah, who are the spiritual? Because today you'll hear spiritual, and you'll think, yeah, I'm, like, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Kind of like a weird uh, new age spiritualism. And that's not really what Paul's talking about. He's also not talking about a specific group of people in the church that is better, right, than the rest of everyone. Um, that is superior in their works and their spirituality. Um, really what Paul is talking about is just those who are bearing the fruit of the Spirit. He's saying, if you bear the fruit of the Spirit, restore your brother in a spirit of gentleness. Those who are walking in the Spirit. Because if you really desire for someone to be restored, to be brought back, it, it's no use to have someone who is walking in the flesh attempt to restore them. It's no use to have someone who is walking in the same sins try to bring about healing be like an alcoholic trying to help someone stop drinking. It's going to be ineffective, right? It's going to cause actually probably more damage than any help that it would bring. Because they don't know how to do it the right way, right? They don't know how to bring about restoration. They don't know how to restore someone who's fallen into sin. But Paul tells us how this restoration should take place. He says, in a spirit of gentleness. Restore each other in a spirit of gentleness. If we look back to chapter 5, we see that gentleness is actually a fruit of the Spirit. Right? Those who are walking in the Spirit, they bear this fruit of gentleness. And so someone who is gentle is needed in order to bring about this restoration. And in Paul's day, the word restore actually meant to put back in place. So when he says restore someone, put them back in place. And it was really used to refer to putting a bone back in place. Right? Someone's dislocated something, put this bone back in place. And when I read that, I thought about my junior year of high school. It was a Friday night, I just got done playing a football game and I was on the way to the hospital because I dislocated my elbow playing football. So my joint was out of place as we we're going to this hospital. And we arrive at the hospital, my arms wrapped up in the splint, and it's resting on the side door. So when we get to the hospital, my mom, she's all worried about me, and so she jumps out, runs around, and she just yanks the door open that my arm is resting on it falls and it slams into my leg, and it causes way more pain than the pain that I was already in, because it was not a gentle impact, right? It wasn't being handled gently. My mom doesn't like it when I tell that story, so <laughs> hopefully she doesn't listen to this. But the point is, is that gentleness is actually essential to restoration, right? Because when someone is caught in sin, they feel like they are out of place. They feel all the weight of their sin clinging to them. They feel the shame that their sin brings, they're in pain, they're fearful, and they need a gentle spirit to come in and speak to them the grace of God. They need someone to come in and be gentle with them, bring restoration to them. And just like putting a bone back in place, it is painful, right? It's painful, but ultimately, when done right, it brings about healing. When done in the correct way, it will bring about healing. And for the Christian, this healing, it comes through compassion, right? It comes through guidance, it comes through pointing them to Christ, pointing them to who they are in Christ as a brother or sister. And this is how the church walks in the spirit. This is how they love one another, by lowering themselves, seeking out those who are hurting, and bringing them up in Christ, pointing them to the grace of God. But Paul adds a little warning at the end of this instruction here. He says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And it's a necessary, necessary warning because of the situation that the Galatian church was in. Um, see, because they have a group there called the Judaizers, those who were pushing for a return to the Mosaic law, those who were pushing for circumcision, right? Going back under slavery, as Paul calls it, walking in, walking in the Old Covenant. And some of the people in need of this restoration were those who joined the circumcision party. They were those who started to take pride in themselves who looked at their works and thought of themselves as better than other people. These are the people that would probably need the restoration Paul's talking about here. So what Paul is saying is basically be careful, right? Be careful as you're restoring this someone because in restoring this person who trusted in their position, you'll be tempted to trust in your position as you're helping them, right? You'll see that you're above them right now. You see that they're below you. And even though you're helping them, you'll be tempted to think I'm better than you, right? Because I haven't fallen into the sin that you've fallen into. And really that's making the same mistake that they made, right, They're make, you're making the same mistake that they made when they trusted in their position and their works. So Paul's giving us a warning, and it's a warning for all of us that in restoring others, when giving others advice, when seeking to help them, be careful, right? Be conscious of our own sin, our own tendency to fall back into our works to fall back in, to trusting our position, because we may be the ones that actually need this gentle restoration one day, right? We're all still fallen, we all still battle uh, the flesh that Paul talks about in chapter five, so we all still may need this restoration to restore each other gently, restore each other gently. And so this is what another community looks like. It means being aware of your own sin and restoring others by restoring them gently, trusting in God to work in their hearts. And in verse 2, Paul gives a farther description of what this looks like. So he says, one, okay, restore each other gently, love each other, be aware of your own sin. And then he says, bear one, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Because so remember, the conflict in, Gala- in the Galatian church is that this Judaizing party is pushing a return to circumcision, per- pushing a return to the Mosaic law, and this built up pride. It built up arrogance in them. And here, Paul's saying, instead of going back to the old law, the law of Moses, fulfill the law of Christ. So don't go back to this old law that is one of slavery, that is one of pride. Go to the law of Christ. Because the law of Christ, it doesn't put people down, but it actually builds them up. It doesn't, you don't build yourself up by putting other people down. You build other people up, right? Because you're in a position of humility. And to really look at what the law of Christ means, we can turn to, first, to John 15, 12, where Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And so fulfilling the law of Christ means loving others as Christ has loved us, right? That's what bearing each other's burdens looks like. But in order to do this well, we first need to really understand how Christ has loved us. We need to look at how he has borne our burdens, how he's borne our burdens, Um, And one of the best explanations we have from this comes from Philippians 2. So starting in verse 5 of Philippians 2, Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." So Christ loves us by emptying himself. He loves us by becoming a servant. And ultimately, he bore our sins on the cross, right? The law of Christ means that we bear each other's burdens as Christ has bore our burden. And unlike the law of the Old Covenant, this is actually a law of freedom. We're not submitting back to slavery when we follow this law. We're actually free when we follow this law. It's not one where we fear punishment because we're not doing it enough, and we're just doing this to try and earn God's love, because we don't have to fear fear punishment. Because Christ has fulfilled the old law for us, right? Christ has fulfilled the law, and now we can walk freely, because He has fulfilled it on our behalf. So now we don't love each other in an attempt to gain approval, right? We don't do this to earn a status, because we already have our status approved by God, since Christ has bore our burden we now have freedom to love each other selflessly, to love each other without seeking gain. And that's really what this looks like for our church, right? For, for loving one another, for walking in the spirit, it means bearing each other's burdens selflessly, not looking for gain. So I want you to think about a friend that you have like this. Maybe it's a mentor, um, a family member. Think about someone who's just there for you at any time, no matter what. They don't ask for anything in return. All they want to do is help you. All they want to do is just be there for you. No matter what you do to them, they'll still love you, they'll still try to help you. And even if you think you don't have someone like that in your life, you actually do, because this is how Christ has loved you. He loves you because he gave himself up for you, simply because he loves you. He he gave himself up for you, he emptied himself, not for any selfish gain on on his behalf, but purely out of his love for you. So this is what Christ has done for you, no matter what you do to him, he will always love you in this way, right? So he, didn't, he, didn't, he gave himself up for you for no reason other than his love, and now nothing that you can do will change his love for you. So this is the perfect kind of love that uh, Paul prescribes for the church, really. Paul, Jesus has loved us in this way, and now we're called to love each other in this way, out of humility and steadfast love. But what hinders us from this love, right? What prevents us from loving each other selflessly, for bearing each other's burdens? If we look at verse three, Paul gives a warning. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So right after a call to bear each other's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ, Paul gives out a warning. And it's a harsh warning, right? If one of you guys came up to me and said, hey, like you think you're really great, but you're actually the worst, and you're not fooling anyone but yourself, I would, like, kind of hurt my feelings, right? Um, so don't say that to me, unless it's true. But also, it's a harsh warning because it needs to be harsh, right? Because Paul's now giving a warning back to the Judaizers, those who are filled with pride, who are deceiving themselves. They're the group we talked about earlier. They took pride in their high status because they thought of themselves as better than others. They really thought that they were something, right? We think of the phrase, go make something of yourself. They thought they were something, right? So they thought they lived this impressive, important life. And that's where they found their hope, right? That's where they found their identity. Because when you start to think of yourself as someone who is more important than others, who, loves each, or who is more faithful to God than others, then it's impossible to bear one another's burdens, right? If you have this pride that is instilled within you, it's hard to lower yourself and seek each other out. So that's why Paul gives this warning. He says, bear each other's burdens And watch out, right? Watch out that you think you're something because this will actually prevent you from loving one another. And this really is a warning for all of us because how often do we look at someone who has fallen into sin and a little part of us thinks, man, I'm glad that's not me. And, you know, I think I'm a little bit better of a Christian because I haven't fallen into the sin that they have. We take pride in the fact that we're not in their position, right? It's pride that is instilled within us. then instead of seeking them out in love, we actually have satisfaction in their downfall, right? We look at them and their downfall actually builds us up. We think, that couldn't be me. And this is dangerous. It's dangerous because if the sins of others build us up, then we don't want restoration for them. We don't want to bear their burdens if their downfalls build us up. We'll want them to stay in the same position that they are so we can feel good about the position that we're in. And so it needs to be a harsh warning, right? It needs to be a serious warning that our pride can overtake us. And this pride really is a form of self-deception, right? Uh, I mean, Keller has a quote that says, self-conceit is self-deceit, right? So our pride fools us because it denies the fact that apart from the grace of God, we would be just like this group. We would be just like the sinner that we're gaining our confidence from. Only by the grace of God are we in the position that we're in. And by the grace of God, we're called to seek them out as they fall. We're called to bear their burdens as they fall into sin. And this is why Paul continues the warning in verse 4 and 5. He says, But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. So Paul's saying, Look, instead of looking at how you stack up compared to other people, look at your own works. Right? Test your own works. Don't gain your confidence by those who are below you. right? So this is what the Judaizers were doing. They were looking around at the groups that were below them and they were gaining confidence, but they were also looking at the group that they belonged to to gain confidence. And We can do that too. We can look at people who we think we're better than, and we can also look at people who are around us that we belong to, and we can gain our confidence from that. Say, so yeah, I'm good just because I belong to this group. Paul's saying, no, don't, don't look at people who are beneath you. Don't look at the people who are around you. Test your own works. That's what he's saying to the Judaizers here. He's saying, don't look at others. Instead of boasting in your comparison to others, look at the state that you are in. And it's helpful to understand what Paul means by boasting here. Because in ancient times, boasting was actually used as a battle cry. When two armies were preparing for battle, all the soldiers would yell and they would cheer and they would build their confidence up by boasting, right? They would boast in the fact that they belonged to this army, and as a result, they would actually taunt the other army. They would taunt them, right, saying, we're better than you, I belong to this. That's where, where they got their confidence to go into battle. And boasting really, essentially, has the same meaning today for us. Right? Our boast is where we gain our confidence to go battle, to go into life and face trials and face hardship. That's where we gain our confidence. See, so what do we look to that says, you know, I'll be okay because I have this, or I can go, you know, I can wake up today because I have this person's approval, or I belong to this group. That's really where our boast comes from. It points to where we gain our confidence. So the the Judaizers, they boasted in the party that they belonged to. Uh, they counted themselves greater than others, they gained their confidence from those around them. But Paul warns that each will have to bear his own load in verse five. So when you go into we need to go and examine what that means. Bear your own load. It seems a little confusing at first. I kind of wrestled with it this week because in verse 2, he says, bear one another's burdens. And then in verse 5, he says, for each will have to bear his own load. Um, So, you know, what is Paul talking about here? But in the context of verse 5, he's really talking about something else. He's not talking about the hardships and the burdens that we have, uh, the struggles that we have. It means that each will have to bear his own work, Right? Each will have to carry with them all that they have done in this life. Imagine like a backpack. Everything you do goes into this backpack, and you carry it through life. And eventually, everyone will have to answer for all that they do in this life. Paul's saying, you're not going to be judged by how much better you are than others, or how much better you think you are than others. You're going to be judged by the work that you present before God. So it's a serious warning that Paul gives. And if you don't belong to Christ, if your faith isn't in Christ, it really is a warning that you need to hear. This is a loving warning, actually, that Paul gives, right? As someone who is walking in the the self-deception that they'll be judged based on the comparison to others, this is a warning that they need to hear, that you need to hear, that you won't be judged by how much better you were than others, you'll be judged by your work alone. But I would also argue that this is good news for the Christian. Right? If you have professed your faith in Christ, this is actually good news. This isn't a condemning warning, a condemning warning, but a, a proclamation of God's grace. Because when we test our own work, we actually do have reason to boast. Right? And I know that sounds prideful, but hear me out, because it's actually the opposite. Because what is work? It's what we do, right? So you think about work, it's what we do, but it's also what we produce. Think about an artist who has painted a painting, they would say, you know, this is my work, right? This is a work of art. So work is what we produce. And as people who are walking in the Spirit, we produce the fruit of the Spirit, right? We walk in the works that God has ordained us to walk in. We bear one another's burdens. We love each other as Christ has loved us. This is the fruit that we bear. And then what does it mean to boast? Right? It means to place our confidence in something. It means to find our identity in something. It points to our identity. So as those who are walking in the Spirit, we find our confidence in the work that the Spirit produces in our life. Right? Our love and our service to one another, it's evidence that we belong to Christ. And we really can be confident in this. And that's why it's good news. The fruit that we bear points to the fact that we are claimed by Christ, that we belong to Him. It shows that we truly belong to Jesus. And it shows that Christ has bore our burdens on the cross. and Now we are free to bear each other's. That Christ has took our load upon himself. He has took the punishment for all of our sins, has paid for it completely. And now the load that we have is love for others. Christ has given us this load that we bear each other's burdens. And it's not a prideful boast, right? It's a boast of humility. It's a boast that our works don't earn us salvation. They just show that by God's grace, we belong to him. That he has claimed us. So this is the Spirit that is work within us. We boast in Christ when we see the fruit of the Spirit in our life. We boast in the fact that we are saved. And now the work that we do, we do in joy, we do in gratitude because Christ has claimed us. And this is what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. We go forward in life, all of us carrying our own burden, our own loads, our own works, but the work that we're called to is actually bearing each other's burdens, right? The works that we carry with us is the love that we pour out for one another. And while this may seem like a difficult task, and it oftentimes is a difficult task, it's actually where our souls find rest. This is the load that Christ has given us, right? He has taken our burdens, our sins, upon himself, and he has given us this load, which is actually rest. So listen to the words from Jesus from Matthew 11:28 28 through 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, uh, we just come and we praise you. Uh, we just thank you that you have claimed us as your own. Uh, we just pray that you equip all of us to walk in the Spirit, um, to produce the fruit that you've called us to of loving one another, of bearing each other's burdens. Uh, and I just pray that we find rest in this. We find rest in the fact that Christ has claimed us um, and that he has equipped us to love one another. So I pray that we that we uh, glorify you through that, that we praise you for that, that we walk in gratitude, that we walk in humility and love. In your name name I pray.